Hello, and welcome back to my investigation of the intertwined stories of Isabel Gaudi, a woman accused of witchcraft in 1662, and the Culbin, where a village was buried in sand a generation afterwards. These stories connect in folklore that tells us that the Culbin was buried as a curse from a witch, Isabel. I'm going to have a wee catch-up call with my producer, Jenny. Jenny is an environmental scientist who splits her time between working in forestry and podcasting. She's been doing some background research on the Culbin for me. We're currently in different time zones. I'm in 1662 and she's in 2022. But I'm hoping that we'll have no connection issues. Hey Jenny. Yep, yep. Hey, how are you? Hi, I've not got long. I'm just at the beach just now, trying to hide. Okay. Thank you for sending me back to 1662. I'm hoping to see Isabel later today. But on your end of things, have you managed to find out anything about the Colbin to help me answer any of Isabel's questions? Uh, yes, I have indeed. Uh, so while you've been away with the witches... I've been looking into... They're not witches, Jenny. They were innocent people accused of witchcraft. It's not... I know, I know, Annie, but while you've been away with the woman accused of witchcraft from 400 years ago, just doesn't have the same ring to it. Plus, if you if you really want to get into it, all this time travel seems pretty supernatural to me, Annie. Well, the folks here are starting to get a wee bit suspicious of me. So who knows what they'll do if they see me hiding in the long grass, talking to a little rectangle in my hand. <laughs> so we need to be quick, Jenny. What did you find out about the Culbin? Okay, well, did you just say you were sitting in the long grass there? Because um, I think that's what I'm calling about. Tell me, what does is, what is the grass you're sitting in look like? Ugh, I don't know. It's tall, clumpy and spiky grass. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm well hidden when I'm sitting on the ground, but it's as sharp as a paper cut to touch. Okay, yeah, that sounds about right. You are sitting amongst marum grass right now. Okay, what's the importance of the grass? What does this have to do with Isabel or the Culbin? Oh, 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 Annie, it has everything to do with Isabel and the Culbin. Because at the root of this catastrophe are roots. Look down, what's the soil like right now? It's not soil, it's sand. Sounds about right. See, marum grass has got these fibrous matted roots, and over time it creates a really dense root system that binds the surface of the sand dunes together. Now this prevents the wind whipping away layer after layer of sand, essentially holding the land down against the wind. Okay, so it's this, raisery grass that is stabilising the very ground I'm sitting on? Yep. Without it, you'd be whipped away with the wind. Can you see any houses from where you are? Yes. Well, I passed some houses on the way down here, but oh. Hello? Who's this then? What's going on here? Wait, um, there's someone coming. I'll call you back. Okay, speak later. I'm a bit nervous about making another phone call, so I'm just going to send Jenny a quick voice note. And I can listen to her when I know I'm in the clear. Hi, sorry I didn't call you back. 
I've made a new 1662 friend, her name is Agnes Allen, and it was her who was coming up onto the dunes. She had a big basket with her and started cutting and pulling up the tufts of marim grass. She said that they're needing to patch up their roof after all the rain there's been. Her family used the marim grass to thatch their roofs, you see. Agnes is really nice. I think you'd like her. Oh, no way. Wait, are, are you still nearby? Can you, can you go and ask them how many times they've had to fix their thatch in the last few years? Hey, so, um, yeah, I've asked Agnes and now she's just started to complain about the thatching. She says that the thatch used to last three or four years and now it sometimes only lasts a season because the weather is so bad. It's probably because I'm not very familiar with these kind of huts. We don't see them nowadays, but they are really beautiful. Underneath this thatch, there's turf, like mm, a peat turf, and it's stunning. It's like a big, soily diamond slate. It must weigh a ton, but it keeps the wind and water out. Feels very surreal being inside her house dark and earthy, like how I would imagine a rabbit warren. Sure, it keeps the water and wind out, Annie, but uh, what about the devil, hmm? No devil jokes here, Jenny. But when you're free, can you pop round to mine when you have a chance and water my tomatoes? My time travelling has gotten in the way of it. Cheers. Hello, it's me, your producer from the future. How's it going? I know it's you. Who else is going to be calling me here? I don't know. I don't know who your chance over there, Annie. Um, your tomatoes were fine. Um, they, they were sad, but they were surviving. I've definitely had enough of sad but surviving in 1662. Jenny, that's not even funny. What is it you were going to tell me about the grass? Oh, yes, the grass. You're going to love this. It's all interlinked. So, you know how Agnes was complaining about the bad weather? Well, as it turns out, she's not just being a ye olde whinge, because you are right in the middle of the Little Ice Age. The Little Ice Age? Uh Uh-huh. I mean, it's a bit grim here, but there's no glaciers or mammoths. Well, that would be a big Ice Age, you see. (laughs) Because instead of lasting thousands of years, this one only lasts from about 1400 to 1800. So where you are right now, the climate has been gradually cooling for over 200 years. And this is really starting to affect the environmental conditions in the entire northern hemisphere. So would this impact farming and crops and things? Yeah, exactly. And even a few degrees temperature change makes a big difference in agriculture, especially over many years. So during the Little Ice Age, The warm summer season gradually became shorter and wetter, and the cold winter season is becoming longer and, well, colder. Aye, the people here have lived through more than their fair share of crop failure and famine. Yeah, and so it affects more than the food as well, though, because the wetter weather means wetter thatch, causing its lifespan to reduce dramatically. Hence why Agnes has such a bee in her bonnet. So the worse weather means more thatching, which means more marim grass, which means that they are destabilising the dunes by pulling up the marim grass. Bingo! 
Yep, exactly. The dunes are losing their great protector, and with the marum grass and the roots being removed so frequently and by so many, it just can't grow fast enough to keep up. The people are stripping the dunes of their safeguard and exposing them to the increasingly worse weather of the Little Ice Age. They're destroying their only protection from the encroaching sand. And on top of this, the peat they're using for their homes... In their roofs? Yes, that, as well as literally using them as the building blocks for the walls, these, these sort of turf huts, is also being removed from the coastal ecosystem way faster than it can regenerate. So if you put all these factors together, the shifting climate, the peat cutting and the pulling of the marum grass for thatch, it's just unsustainable and it throws the whole delicate ecosystem out of balance. And that's when the big storm hits in 1694. The destruction, it it didn't happen overnight. Exactly. This was a gradual process. Over the coming years from where you are now, the sand begins to move rapidly, year by year, over the arable farmland on the coast, until finally the unprecedented storms in 1694 just truly tipped the scales. And do you want to know the worst thing, Annie? They knew... Hey, um, I hope everything's okay and you're not in the cell next to Isabel. <laughs> hmm. I was about to tell you the most outrageous part of this whole thing, Annie. They knew. They knew exactly what had caused the destruction and why. You know the Canards, right? The lairds of the land at the Culbin and Aldern. Well, they're technically the baron of the land, but whatever. A year after the storm, a year, Alexander Canard petitioned Parliament for an exemption of the payment of tax for the ruined land. His bid was successful and he didn't have to pay tax on the land and the government actually took heed from the disaster and passed a bill prohibiting the pooling of broom, juniper and marum grass from the coastal ecosystems. They knew why the dunes had eaten their land. If folks were found removing these plants from the dunes, the penalty was really severe. The government knew that the reckless pooling of marum grass has significantly contributed to the Colbin catastrophe and that it had to stop, else more disasters were inevitable. And like I said, this was just a year after the disaster, and it shows that all of the mythology that we now know is overridden by just science and ecological understanding. Anyway, um, I hope you're alright. Give me a call when you can. It's, uh, it's weird worrying 400 years in the past. Also, tomatoes are looking much better. You can thank me later. My phone battery died, so all the messages came through in one big string. The slow yet steady loss of the binding power of the grassroots was understood to be the cause of the devastation in the immediate aftermath of this great storm. The disappearance of the Culbin was not the overnight cursing of a witch. It was the slow process of human-induced coastal erosion. The cataclysmic storm was simply the tipping point of the scales that had been gradually sliding more and more towards the destruction of this piece of coast over time. Oh, how can I make sense of this in my own head to tell Isabel? Hi Annie, hope all is well in the land of witches. 
It's uh, it's lovely weather here right now. So uh, I was out in the front garden this morning, raining in the weeds before my parents visit and scold me for my lackadaisical housekeeping. And uh, I get chatting to this lovely old man who walks his dog by my house every day. She's a wee Jack Russell called Clover and oh, she's lovely. Anyway, Clover is having a sniff in the garden, so we get to talking. And he says his name is George and he's out from Nairnway. So obviously I start talking about the witches and the Colbin and what do you know, Annie? He knows of Isabel Gowdy and he told me a story that I haven't come across yet. He says his granny used to tell loads of tales and one of them was about the disaster at the Colbin. Now, he must be about 70, 75, so his granny would have been born around the turn of the century when the Colbin was nothing but sand. Isn't that amazing? Anyway, her story went like this. Back in the 1600s, when the land was still fertile fields, the Laird of Colbin was a bit of an extravagant loon. He enjoyed a dram, or five, and he loved a card game, or five. His opponents were usually up for one or two games, maybe a few more, but the Laird was never satisfied and played and played until the winnings were in his favour. Now on one night, when he'd exhausted just about any friend or acquaintance to play with, he hears a knock on his great stone mansion's doors. He goes to the door and he flings them open. And standing there, in the swirling wind and rain of a storm that's just getting started, is a neighbour saying that he'd love to come in for a dram and for a card game or two. Delighted, the Laird welcomes in the neighbour and after forcing the door behind him closed against the wind, they sit by the roaring fire and begin to play. As time wears on and the cards are dealt anew, the neighbour says that he wishes to leave. The storm was getting mighty bad outside and he wanted to go and check on his cattle, make sure that they were okay. But lo, the Laird wouldn't have a word of it. The cards were dealt, the game was on, and the rain battered down. Again and again, the neighbour said that he wanted to leave, and again and again, the laird forbade it, convincing him and cajoling him to stay for just one more game. On and on they played, so long, in fact, that upon draining the last of yet another bottle of whiskey, the laird himself wondered how on earth they had been playing for so long. He got up and he went to the window to see where the sun was. Surely it must be on its way up now. They've been playing for hours. But upon throwing back the heavy drapes, he was met with a window of sand. For overnight, as the cards were dealt over and over, his house had been buried by the gales. In shock, he turned and cried out to his house guests, but lo, As he turned, he saw his opponent taking the only way left out of the house, the chimney. And just as his coattail whipped up and away, two hooves were revealed disappearing up the chimney. For it was no neighbour that he had played against all night, but the devil himself. Isn't that fun? What a great story. Anyway, it got me researching and I found a few different versions out there of this tale. And one ends with these lines, which I think you're going to love. And beneath the sand, that fearful game is played and played away. For the devil and the laird are sitting there, 
until the judgment day. All right, I hope this helps you in some way. I hope you're all right. Let me know if you need anything. Speak soon. Bye.